Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to, the pro- Welcome to the Pro Football Focus Show presented by Roto-Grinders. I'm Sammy Reed. I'm filling in for Britt Devine. He is down in Florida hanging out with his lady at Disney World and, you know, buying overpriced churros and wearing big Mickey ears, doing all that cutesy stuff. But I'm here talking football with Scott Barrett and Tyler Beaker. Uh, I will try to fill in for Britt as well as I can. I will try to be the uh, Derrick Henry to his DeMarco Murray, as it were. Uh, but I get to talk football with you guys. Gentlemen, week six was not all that hot for me. I played too much Kevin Hogan in cash on DraftKings like a fish. Uh, Tyler, tell me about your week six. How'd it go? Oh, I did 100% Hogan in cash, which is why I was happy I didn't do much cash games. I'm mostly a tournament player, so I was happy to just take all the zeros in cash and just win it all back in GPPs. Um, the only bad thing I had was uh, too much Buck Allen last week. He's the only thing that sunk my lineups, but a ton of Mark Ingram, a ton of Saints defense. It was pretty profitable. Oh, a bunch of, bunch of Saints defense. That makes up for a lot of fish plays. Very good. Uh, Scotty, how was your week six, man? Yeah, so it, it was awesome. I made over $1,000. I was the most accurate ranker per Fantasy Pros. My Roto Grinders article, like essentially every single person I touched on outside of like two or three, uh, either had like 12 targets or scored 19 DraftKings fantasy points. Unfortunately, I'm a fish too. And I played 80% Kevin Hogan in tournaments because uh, I have a 12 o'clock article and I just like couldn't figure out the stacks for Palmer um, and Deshaun Watson. So I I just like copped out and I was like, let's hope he has a big, and then no, he doesn't. Because it's a fish play. We are, we are just three fish swimming around in a bowl trying to get things right, man. <laughs> well, we will try to do better here in week seven. We're going to get it lit here. Uh, guys, what I want to talk about, want to start off with this Thursday night game that's upcoming here in a little bit. We have Kansas City at Oakland. Kansas City, the last time I looked, three-point favorites. Tyler, how do you see this game going, and how are you approaching it from a DFS perspective? I think the way to approach it is to enter a lot of t- uh, contests with this game and fade it. I'm not really into many of the plays aside from Michael Crabtree and Kareem Hunt. Um, what really kind of aggravates me is all these great games on Sunday night and Monday night, and we can't really get much exposure to it unless we want to play the primetime slate. So I'm entering a ton of Thursday through Monday tournaments. 
Um, but looking at just from the Raiders perspective, Derek Carr has been pretty terrible since coming back from injury. He's an easy fade given his recent performance. He hasn't thrown for 200 yards or multiple touchdowns since week two. The Chiefs defense is allowing the third fewest DraftKings points to opposing running backs. That kind of eliminates that entire timeshare. I'm going to fade them all. Michael Crabtree is about the only wide receiver to get significant exposure to this week. The Chiefs play stationary with their cornerbacks, keeping Marcus Peters to one side, Terrence Mitchell to the other. Mitchell has allowed the most yards in coverage this year and given up three touchdowns. Crabtree has 18 targets over the last two weeks, scoring 20.2 and 17.2 DK points. I think he's about the only usable guy you can play with much conviction. Uh, Amari Cooper is for GPPs only. He's also going to get some run at Mitchell, so I think he's kind of in consideration here. Uh, I think it's just for hot takes, though. If you want, uh, he'll get 100 yards and a score. Um, that's about it, though. I, mean, I have no interest in Jared Cook. Uh, not, no real interest in the Raiders' defense either. Scotty, what about you, man? How are you approaching this Amari Cooper situation? For five grand, I took a little bit of the bait last week. Very little, but still way too much. It feels like he was so close to a big game, but he didn't quite get there. He had a couple of long gains taken back. He was very close to a touchdown. Price went up a little bit on DraftKings, 5,500. How are you approaching him specifically and then the game as a whole? Yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with guys who are just so obviously in a slump. I think Amari Cooper's a really good, talented wide receiver. He has struggled mightily with drops throughout his entire career, but just look at his last five weeks, five targets, 33 yards, five targets, six yards, eight targets, nine yards, two targets, eight yards, six so targets, 28 yards. Uh, I think he's fourth among his team in wide receivers in – total yards from scrimmage. Uh, Danny Woodhead is averaging more receiving yards per game. Uh, It's just brutal. I I get the thought that this could be a blow up spot, but I tend to be someone who uh, I want to see at first. I know he's, he's super cheap, but uh, I don't want to just keep being that guy who goes back to the well every single week. So I'm mostly avoiding him. Uh, Crabtree is always in play. We'll talk about wide receiver versus cornerbacks later, but you shouldn't be too concerned uh, with Marcus Peters, uh, no wide receivers will see him on more than 35% of his routes. Uh, moving along to Kansas City, though, I have no idea how the Chiefs are favored only by three. Uh, last time I said this, I was very wrong, but uh, I might want to bet Kansas City in this game. Uh, Kareem Hunt, my boy for life, uh, isn't a great matchup the Raiders are allowing the 10th most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs Sharkandrick West is out with a concussion uh so Kareem Hunt will serve in an every down capacity he played all but six snaps last week once West was sidelined uh Hunt is our highest rated running back by a landslide uh he leads all running backs and missed tackles with 43 that's 14 more than the next closest who is Le'Veon Bell who also has 37 more touches uh, Hunt leads in yards after contact with 3.46 with the next closest not even breaking 3.0. Derek Carr did not look right last week. Uh, and like I said, I think the Chiefs win this handily, contrary to Vegas, which should give Hunt plenty of positive game script. Um, he's easily my top running back play of the week. Ownership be damned. Travis Kelsey has seen between 7 11 targets in every healthy game. This is a match of DFS players have historically liked to target against tight ends, though the d- data doesn't fully support that. Uh, I prefer Ertz uh, on this slate, but he's still a very strong play. Hill has seen between six and eight targets in every game. Granted, he was dealing with a few minor injuries over that stretch and has practice in full this week. He's very boomer bust. 
Obviously, you don't need my analysis to tell you that. Uh, he's also a little overpriced, but still a fine tournament play. Though the Raiders haven't given up much production to wide receivers thus far, their cornerback talent is far worse than what they've allowed. And, uh, and he really looks like someone who could uh, take advantage of where they are weakest. So I'm not too on that play. You had to be pretty pumped on Hunt last week. I mean, he was just shut down in the first half. Andy Reid totally ignored him, and he still drew out in the second half a lot of receiving yards. I mean, that was basically his worst-case scenario, and he still ended up with like 16 DraftKings points. So I Andy agree with Reed, you. Andy Reid is just driving me crazy with like just zero usage in the first half. I have no idea what he's thinking, but that's Andy Reid. It was like Le'Veon Bell the week before against Jacksonville where Tomlin chose not to rush him against Jacksonville, and it was like, what, what are you thinking? But even <laughs> even so, I mean, you know, I, we can't, we can't uh, kind of count on NFL coaches to do the right thing, I think is the moral of this story. Uh, Tyler, who do you have in this game if you were going to uh, take a side, Kansas City is three-point favorites. What side do you like the best? Kansas City as well. After diving into it a little bit more, there's just very few positive plays for the Raiders offensively. Uh, I just don't see them lining up very well. And uh, with no Stark Kendrick West, uh, I think it's a big game for Kareem Hunt. He could finish as a, one of the top three running backs this week. There we go. Super struggles for Oakland these days. Guys, let's move on to the Sunday slate. Uh, let's start off with quarterbacks and talk about some of the studs and values and duds that we see on this slate. Tyler, I'll start with you. Who's your big stud here? Uh, it's tough because there's so many great quarterbacks to pick from. Uh, I'm going to lean Drew Brees. He's thrown multiple passing touchdowns in all but one game so far this year. And the real reason to play him is just Green Bay's secondary. They're a trio of cornerbacks, Demarius Randall, Kevin King, and Devon House, all rank among our bottom 25 graded cornerbacks. The last time Brees played Green Bay, he threw for 300-plus yards, three touchdowns, and completed 85% of his attempts. Uh, one major thing for Breeze is he's getting back his tackle, Teron Armstead. Last year, he was one of PFF's top 10 pass-blocking tackles, and I think he's going to be a huge get for the team. Um, I'm not too worried about game script at all. I think they're going to keep throwing. They're only, I think, four-and-a-half-point favorites now at this point on the road. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they do against Brad Hundley, and uh, I think they're just going to keep throwing, though, and Breeze is going to stand to pick up a lot of fantasy points that way. Now, obviously, we've seen Drew Brees have big splits home and away over the last, you know, five, six seasons, what have you. Does the fact that they're away, uh, is that mitigated by the really good corner matchups for you? I think so. Yeah, I, it's just such a plus matchup. I think Brees could take advantage what, no matter like what wide receiver he targets. Um, they're just all in great spots here. And what about for you, Scott? Who's your big uh, your big stud for this slate? Uh, so. Uh, you know, every week I find a bunch of stats that surprise me, but it's very rarely fantasy points per game. And Dak Prescott ranked second among quarterbacks via that stat, uh, which, which did take me by surprise. But he has been playing fantastic and he's fantastic last season. Uh, I think my, my, one of my bold calls back from May, one was Kareem Hunt's going to be a league winner, but the other was Dak Prescott's. Yeah, yeah, gotta gotta sneak that in there. <laughs> hey man, you got you gotta keep the brand strong. That's what we're doing here. It's all about the brand. The, the other was Dak Prescott finishes the year top three among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game. Uh, 49ers actually don't look too bad in terms of production allowed, but they rank last in the league in PFF pass coverage grade. That could cause him to go lower owned than he otherwise should be. People are just looking at that to play matchups. But I have a feeling he's gonna be pretty chalky on this slate. Uh, Zeke is in a smash spot as well. 
up against a San Francisco defense that has allowed the most fantasy points per game, uh, the most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs last season and the second most this season. So he's probably someone you want to pair with Prescott if you're going to play him in cash. But the 49ers rank 15th in rushing fantasy points per game to running backs and second in receiving fantasy points per game to running backs. So if that trend continues, that should be another boost for Prescott. Um, but really another great reason to, re- to like Prescott is the obvious stack in Des Bryant. But I'll talk more about that a little later. I, I agree with you there. It's going to be interesting. I believe the 49ers are going to get Ruben Foster back this week. Obviously, they cut Navarro Bowman recently. He was not playing well. He was he was losing a lot of snaps. Ruben Foster potentially is a really good piece of that run defense and potentially could filter some more volume to Dak Prescott. So we'll see how that goes. I really like Dallas here. Obviously, San Francisco is also playing at a very high pace. Uh, they're about average game script neutral, but they've been in such negative game scripts that their pace is really sped up, and that really helps the opposing team run more plays. So I like all of those options. Uh, Tyler, let's talk about who you have at your value quarterback. Yeah, my value quarterback is Tyrod Taylor this week, 5,100 on DraftKings. The Bills are coming off the bye. They're playing at home, and they're taking up a banged-up uh, Bucks defense. Levante David, Noah Spence, TJ Ward, and Keith Tandy – we're all limited in practice on Wednesday. Uh, Tampa Bay has allowed the second most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks to start the year. They've allowed every one of their opponents to either throw for 300 yards or multiple passing touchdowns. Every single one of their opponents has scored at least 16 DraftKings points. That's that 3x value that we're searching for here with Tyrod and cash games. And he's just killed it at home as well. He's scoring 18.8 DK points at home versus just 11 on the road. Uh, I just think they're in a great bounce box I think they're in a great bounce back spot here playing at home against the Buccaneers. I'm completely with you on Tyrod, especially on DraftKings at 5.1. It's a huge value. The other thing I like is that the Bucs have the second lowest adjusted sack rate in football. They're getting almost no pressure on the quarterback. I think that really sets up well for Taylor to be able to read and then run potentially. Scotty, who you got for your value guy? I have uh, Marcus Mariota. So, 21% of his career fantasy production has come on the ground. That ranks fourth most among all 32 quarterbacks to attempt at least 600 passes since 2015. That is significant, and a nagging hamstring injury likely does rob him of some of his upside. But I'm hoping that might cause him to go a tad under own in what's absolutely a blow-up spot. The Browns are a glaring funnel defense, ranking third best in yards per carry allowed, but last in opposing passer rating by two different opponent adjusted metrics. Cleveland is easily the best defense to stream quarterbacks against. They're giving up 0.59 fantasy points per drop back, but their expectation has them at only 0.39. In terms of fantasy points per game, they're giving up 6.9 fantasy points per game, more than their expectation. What does that mean? Uh, basically just means they're giving up the fourth most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks, but that looks so much better when you factor in the faced McCown, Flacco, Brissett, Eddie Dalton and Big Ben on the road. Man, man, JV squad right there. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite receiver to pair him with? We've seen Rashard Matthews be kind of his go-to guy. Last week he targeted Decker a whole lot more. If you're stacking him in tournaments, who's your favorite Tennessee Titans wide receiver here? So I was just talking about these uh, fantasy points per game over expectation, and the defense that ranks worst two tight ends is the Browns, which. Uh, makes me like, and he ranked last by that same metric last season. So that makes me like Delaney Walker a lot this week. 
Love it. Love it. Let's go to our duds, the guys uh, that you think are not going to perform this week, the guys that you are going to fade in DFS. Uh, Tyler, let's start with you, man. Uh, I'm going to keep this brief. It's Philip Rivers. There's really no reason to play him here, given the plethora of cheap QBs that you can choose from. Since 2014, Rivers has averaged 17.2 DraftKings points against Denver. He's averaged 22.4 against everyone else. He hasn't thrown multiple passing touchdowns against the Broncos at home since 2012. I'm just going to save my money and play literally anybody else cheaper than Rivers or more expensive. Love it. Love it. Scotty, what about for you, brother? Uh, I'm going to fade Big Ben at home. Uh, Adam Jones potentially sitting out might change things, and Antonio Brown would be an absolute must play if he does sit. Uh, But I'm fading Ben until further notice. He has a worse passer rating and PFF grade than Jacoby Brissett. The guy tried to retire earlier in the season. Martavis Bryant wants a trade. Their offense just looks ugly. And Cincinnati ranks seventh best uh, versus quarterbacks against their expectation. See, this hurts me so much. I'm a big Steelers fan. And uh, (laughs) man, that he's got just worse than Jacoby Brissett just just tilts me so bad. I know I'm going to fish out some money. Uh, just like last week with Hogan and play some Ben in tournaments. I'm just chasing that game, man. But I agree with you uh, in a game theory sense. It is just not a good play. So let's move on to running backs. Talk about the studs here. There's a bunch of really good running backs that are high priced that are, you know, kind of uh, just set for a lot of good volume here. And it's really tough to pick one or two, especially on DraftKings where the pricing has gotten really, really tight. Uh, Tyler, let's start with you, man. Who's the one running back you're really looking to jam in? Yeah, I agree. It's really tight pricing this week by DK, um, especially when you're looking for those high guys that are guaranteed volume. Um, I'm going to look at Zeke if it's going to be anybody. I was a little surprised he was priced at just 9K given all the uh, debate around his status of playing or not. Um, But he's averaged 24 carries and four targets per game outside of week two when he played Denver. That was a really weird game, so I'm kind of just chalking that up as an outlier. Uh, But he has a really good matchup this week against the 49ers. They're allowing an NFL high 70.8 snaps per game. That just leads to a ton of volume for the entire Cowboys offense. Uh, I really liked uh, Scott's call of playing Dak. I'll probably find some ways to get Dak, Zeke, and Dallas Cowboys in some lineups just as a way to leverage all of the touchdowns that are scored. Just full on slot. Just get it out there. Bring it back with some Garcon. We'll see how it goes. There you go. Love Uh, it. 49ers have allowed the third most rushing attempts against, and they've allowed the most receptions to running backs against as well. Uh, that's just a ton of ways for Zeke to score. The defense lost Navarro Bowman, as you had talked about earlier, and they also lost Arik Armstead with a broken hand due to IR. He was playing really well this year. Uh, I think that's actually a really big blow for their defense. Um, Zeke's just in a smash spot this week. Love it. Scotty, uh, who's your guy? Obviously, we talked about this is a very tough slate to pick one high price running back, and Kareem Hunt's not on the main slate, man, so you got to go off-brand a little here. Right, so... Uh... I like LaShawn McCoy. I thought he was going to be kind of sneaky, but looks like he's going to be fairly chalky. Uh, he ranks first among all players in expected fantasy point market share. Uh, that just means like all fantasy points or pot potential fantasy points are being funneled through McCoy. He's easily just the face of this offense. And he also ranks sixth among all players and expected fantasy points per game, much lower than his actual fantasy points per game, indicating he's due for some passive regression. Uh, Tampa Bay appears uh, stout against the run. They rank 10th best in yards per carry allowed, but McCoy should get a volume boost if Jameis Winston sits out uh, and is a fine pairing option with Buffalo's defense, if that is the case. 
Tampa Bay also has Quan Alexander, Robert Ayers, Levante Davis, TJ Ward, Keith Tandy, Ryan Russell, and Noah Spence on an injury report. Only Alexander has practiced in full. Alexander, David, and Ayers all ranked top five for the team in run stops a season ago, and Tandy was their fourth highest graded run defender last season. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you there. The one thing that I really like about LaShawn McCoy is he has a 24% market share on that team, which is by far and away the most of any running back uh, besides Christian McCaffrey. So all running backs that also average seven or more carries a game. And when you're on a price on a site like DraftKings, where his price is 7.4 and you're getting full PPR, I just think that's a really good smash spot for him. I'm hoping that that ownership stays low as well. Obviously, with the tight pricing, we're going to have to find some values here at running back. Tyler, who's your best value at the running back position? It is very tough to find values this week. There's no home run hits like Mark Ingram or Jarek McKinnon like last week. Um, if I'm paying down, I'm probably going to look at a guy like Marlon Mack. He's at just $4,100 this week on DraftKings. Robert Turbin's injury opens the door for some significant playing time for him this uh, going forward. Next, a boomer bust runner. So I really think he's best served for GPPs. I don't think you can really try to find a way to play him in cash with much confidence. But uh, Jacksonville is still that reverse funnel that Pittsburgh neglected to use. And they rank 31st and run DVOA. And the hope here is that Indianapolis is smart enough to take advantage of it. Mac is also a pretty adept receiver out of the backfield. The boundary corners of Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boy are just incredible this year. Um, funneling passing attack through the center of the field as such. And I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for both Jack Doyle and Marlon Mack. Uh, I don't know. I just think 4,100 is a great salary, salary saver, and he has a pretty significant upside for tournaments. Yeah, and they were using Turbin a lot in that passing game on third downs and when they were facing negative game scripts. It'll be interesting to see who they put in in that sense. Obviously, Frank Gore is a grizzly old vet, you know, has the reputation of being very good in pass protection, but Obviously, Marlon Mack is a guy who can make huge plays, chunk plays, especially through the passing game out on the perimeter. I'm hoping that they give him more run, and I agree with you. He's a fire tournament play. Scotty, for you, where are you looking at in value this week? Because, you know, like, like Tyler mentioned, there's not a lot of obvious value. Uh, actually, there's a few guys I like. Um, I originally uh, was going to talk up Christian McCaffrey, but, but Tyler pivoted and went to Marlon Mack, I guess. <laughs> and left the door open okay. for you. <laughs> a few, a few, uh, hours ago or so, but, um, so, so obviously Derek Henry is the glaring value if DeMarco Murray sits and might still honestly be in play, even if Murray suits up. Uh, I like McCaffrey a lot, but Based on Tyler writing up McCaffrey, I went with Jordan Howard, who's the same price on FanDuel. Howard saw 36 rushing attempts in week six, which was the seventh most by any running back this past decade. Chicago is really taking it easy on their rookie quarterback while leaving heavy on the ground game. Since Mitch, since Mitch Trubisky was named a team starter, the team has passed on only 32.7% of their offensive plays. That would be a record since like 1938, if over the course of a full season. Uh, when Mike Glennon was the starter, they passed on 57.5% of their offensive plays. And a big thing for me is, is monitor the status of Luke Keekley. If he is out, uh, that makes Howard a very strong play. So over the since 2015, in the nine games Keekley was out, the average 26 uh, opposing running backs averaged 26.6 fantasy points per game. 
and 13.9 rushing fantasy points per game, as opposed to 21.1 and 9.5 when he played. And uh, I believe Thomas Davis, who's been a really good linebacker for them for a long time, he's been losing a lot of snaps, kind of in that Bowman mold where they're just getting a little older, they can't quite get it done, and really they're left with Keekly as you know their top linebacker. They they lost Klein as well. So let's get on to the guys we're fading, man. The the, the duds this week, Tyler. Who do you got as your running back dud? Uh, things change quickly in the NFL. Um... Javoris Allen is my dud this week. He was a guy that I thought was an absolute must play last week. I had 70% exposure to him. And I, I don't, I'm not really sure if this is recency bias or not. We're seeing Alex Collins get in there and get a good amount of touches as well. So we're really unsure how this play Kong is going to go from Jim Harbaugh and um, John Harbaugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and uh, I just think he's a fade for me. The Ravens offense is a complete mess they rank bottom five in third down conversion percent they've scored more than 20 points just once and they're allowing the fewest DraftKings points to opposing running backs and have allowed just one running back to score more than 14 points against them yeah I was with you on that Buck Allen last week it was uh it was having some struggles uh did pair him a lot with Baltimore's defense which ended up saving the day but yeah it's it's weird they had Allen and he's doing good and he's getting all these touches and for no reason that has to do with in-game uh just struggles they said look Alex Collins you start getting a bunch of work so it's tough when coaches get a little schizophrenic with these guys don't give them the the workload you're expecting bit me a little last week as well uh Scotty who you got for your running back dead uh so this guy's definitely not a fade by any stretch but I am lower on him than most uh, if you take away Leonard Fournette's two longest runs and Mike Gillisley's two longest runs, Gillisley is averaging 3.39 yards per carry and Leonard Fournette is averaging 3.37. Uh, he only has two runs of 20 or more yards while Kareem Hunt has seven on 24 or fewer carries. Take away those two big plays. He's averaging 4.5 fantasy points per game less Um and I'm just not willing to bet on him banking on another big, long, massive touchdown run for fantasy. I also just tweeted this out, so check out my, my Twitter. Uh, but, like, over the past decade of a sample size of, like, 100 running backs to have at least 100 carries and two or more carries of 50 or more yards, uh, Fournette's yards per carry average without those two runs is by far the worst uh, at 3.37 yards per carry. And if you I, look I got- at – I got to say this. I think John Proctor won the week on Twitter when he uh, quote tweeted you and said, if you take away Scott Barrett's two best tweets, he'd skip Bayless. I mean, that was, that was a pretty solid roast right there. Good job, Proctor. Johnny's probably my best friend on Twitter. Like we've hung out a bunch of times, but no one roasts me better than Johnny. And, and I was tilting over it, uh, but it's, it's, it's legitimately significant. Uh, and I did want to say Fournette's workload is not as amazing in PPR leagues as most people suspect. He ranks tied with McCaffrey for ninth in expected fantasy points per game. But thank you, Sammy, for, for making me relive my, the worst roast of uh, the month. I mean, it was just so good. I felt like if anybody missed it, didn't pop up on their timeline, you know, they really deserve access to this beautiful, beautiful tweet. Um, We are going to move on to wide receivers in a quick second here. But something I really wanted to talk about with, with, you know, especially Scott, but both of you guys, is there was a really fun discussion on Twitter earlier in the week. Josh Kermsmeyer, who's the proprietor of airyards.com, which is just a ridiculously good site for uh, fantasy analysis, 
Um, if you're not checking out airyards.com, you really need to. But he let out a tweet and he said, fade wide receiver cornerback matchups. Josh ADHD jumped in there. Scott, you jumped in there. Uh, Mike Clay, Evan Silva. And there was a lot of back and forth about what wide receiver and corner matchups really mean and how we should be using them. And so I think it's really difficult to, you know, condense that kind of talk and those details in 140 characters. And so I kind of just wanted to talk to both of you guys about how you use that in, a, in your analysis how much you weight it versus stuff like air yards, market share, projected game script, stuff like that. And, uh, and, and just how significant you think it is right now. So Scott, if you would kind of take it away and give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, so quarterbacks are quarterback uh, matchups is easily like one of the biggest things that factors into my rankings and my projections. Uh, I spend at least a day's worth of analysis on it. Uh, I ranked top 10 among like 160 rankers on fantasy pros and wide receivers. And I think only Mike Clay or Jeff Radcliffe spends more time on cornerbacks than I do. Again, Josh is saying fade. He's not saying ignore. Uh, he's saying fade. So relative to the public, uh, he thinks that cornerback matchups are overvalued. I strongly disagree because that implies that the public knows anything about cornerback matchups or, or people are smart about this when in most of the cases – you are not. And it, it takes a ton of research to look into it. I, I respect the hell out of Josh. He's, he's way smarter than me. He does amazing work. Uh, but the, the, when I've seen his studies on cornerbacks, I disagree with a lot just because he's looking at things that don't really factor into my rankings, like yards after the catch allowed um, and things like that. Um, but, uh, but it, it, it's just like in general, really hard to peg down because Everything is just like a, a matchup by matchup, case by case basis. And uh, it's just really hard. So like I did a bunch of research on wide receivers looking at different efficiency stats. And I found the middle bulk was irrelevant. It was really only, uh, it really only mattered at the polar extremes. And that's the exact same thing with cornerbacks. So you just merge those together. And it's even more only relevant at the polar extremes. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, volume is still king, but you're factoring that into cornerback matchups. Uh, so I found against top 25 graded cornerbacks, uh, wide receivers average 1.45 fantasy points per target against bottom 25 graded cornerbacks. They're averaging 1.9. So what does that mean? It means a, an average wide receiver seeing 10 targets against a top 25 graded cornerback is about the same as an average wide receiver seeing 7.5 targets against a bottom 25 so it's just like so many different things you have to look at and like merge into one. Uh, he, Josh is like, show me a study and then I'll buy into it. There, there really is none. Just look at like the plays that Mike Clay writes up every single week or I write up every single week and compare how these players do to their average. And I think you'll find that this is super, super significant. Uh, but again, like a, a an all encompassing, uh, encompassing data uh, breakdown I don't have for you but I, I will say it's just I'm super profitable on it I love like I, I spend so much time on it and I think it's very valuable I'm gonna go grab a drink so I'll be right back sorry do it do it I you know I don't think anybody who watches football or analyzes easily he's like dude I just I just let it all out on the quarterback yep. matches got a drink um, I don't think that anybody who watches football could possibly think that who's covering who doesn't matter right I mean that's that's really clear so 
I think where Josh was coming from, he's very data driven. He's very analytically driven. And for him, it's like, he wants to study it. He wants to test it. He wants to prove it. And then he wants to quantify it. Obviously those things are very difficult for you, Tyler. How do you factor those into your analysis? I think it's integral to my research. Uh, I use the PFF wide receiver cornerback matchup chart. It's that alone pays for a PFF subs subscription, in my opinion. Uh, just seeing where wide receivers line up against which cornerbacks. Um, seeing a wide receiver that runs 78% of his routes from the left, and you see he's going against one of our bottom 25 corners. Yeah, I'm going to load up on that. Um, there is some, uh, like Scott referenced with the extremes, um, I think the best example we saw of it was Des Bryant this year, how he struggled early to begin the year and how he's uh, turning things around now. Uh, now the, the schedule is lightened up and he's not facing elite cornerback after elite cornerback. Um, there's just a lot to it. Uh, honestly, just looking at our wide receiver cornerback matchup chart every week is a must. I, I agree with you. I use pro football focuses. I also use Mike Clay's that he puts out on ESPN. Both of those very invaluable resources. And I also agree with Scott here that it's especially significant on the polar ends. And when you're talking about doing an all-encompassing study, that can get a little murky because you're incorporating so much of that average that, of course, the whole thing is not going to look that significant. So uh, keep doing what you guys do. Y'all are doing great work. Let's move on to some specifics of the wide receiver position. Tyler, I want to start with you. Who's your one stud that you're jamming in all over the place this week? Oh, man, it's tough. Uh, if I have to do one player, it's Michael Thomas. For the same reason I love Drew Brees, he's just going to smash against some terrible cornerbacks. Demarius Randall is our number 108-graded cornerback out of 113. Devon House is our number 91. These are both bottom 25 cornerbacks, guys that we've mentioned targeting. And Thomas runs 80% of his routes on the outside, where he'll run a ton against these guys. He's coming off a poor fantasy outing last week, and I think he's in a prime bounce box. Bounce bounce back spot here uh, i'm hoping recency bias kicks in and others try to pivot towards mike evans or des bryant because they're similarly priced and are a little burned from um his previous week where he just scored 4.1 DraftKings points but he scored 22.9 and 21.7 the two weeks before um he's averaging 8.6 targets per game a 23 percent target market share and the Saints are top 12 in pass play percent and ranked fifth in red zone attempts per game. So we're seeing a Saints offense that's passing a ton and getting a lot of scoring opportunities for the wide receivers. I'm going to try and get Drew Brees number one wide receiver anytime I can in those situations. Well, I am probably the industry's worst person at projecting ownership, but I do think that Michael Thomas is going to be very sparsely owned this week. That makes him a really strong value in tournaments, like you mentioned, with all those other strong options at his price point that we think are going to go higher owned. Uh, Scott, for you, who's your one stud that you're really looking to jam in this week? So we just talked about wide receiver versus cornerback matchups. And uh, maybe my favorite article I've written this year uh, talked about how over the past three seasons, Des Bryant was far and away easily the most cornerback sensitive wide receiver in the league on both a per target and per route basis. We also saw Janoris Jenkins pretty much say exactly the same thing uh, a few months ago. Um, but yeah, so the volume has been amazing. He ranks first in targets inside the 10 yard line per game, first in end zone targets per game, eighth in targets per game. Uh, unfortunately, he's, he's terrible in efficiency. He's scoring 3.6 fantasy points per game, less than his expectation, second worst among wide receivers. Part of this, of course, has been due to a brutal cornerback schedule where a league leading 59% of his targets have come against cornerbacks who graded out among our 25 best a season ago. 
However, he has a much softer draw this week against a San Francisco defense with starting cornerbacks Dante Johnson, Rashard Robinson, and Kawan Williams all ranking among our 20 worst graded. Uh, you know, it's, it's really a good matchup for all the wide receivers, not Jason Witten, who I'll, I'll get to in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loading up on Des Bryant this week, despite uh, him being, I think, like top five in salary. I love it. I, I'm big on that Dallas passing game. I think you can bring it back with Pierre Garçon. I'm a big fan of Pierre Garçon this week. I mean, he's seen fewer than eight targets in one game this week. He's sixth in total targets in the NFL. Uh, just looking at his matchup, he's going to do a plurality of his work against Anthony Brown, who's the worst of the uh, Dallas. I, I see you laughing, Scotty. You, got, you said plurality. Oh, I love that. I did. Oh, I thought, yeah, I thought majority. you were. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I thought you were just happy I cited some quarterback matchups for you. But I really love that stack. Obviously, we're going to need to get some value here in the middle tier of wide receiver as well. Tyler, who's your favorite value wide receiver this week? Well, he's priced the same as Pierre Garçon, but it's Demarius Thomas. I think he draws a rather a more difficult matchup than Garçon. He's going to be running his routes against Casey Hayward, who shadowed him in week one. Thomas still fared pretty well in that matchup, though, catching four of six targets for 61 yards. The thing is, with Emmanuel Sanders out, the floor and the ceiling for Thomas's targets should both rise significantly. He's seen eight, eight, nine, five, and 14 targets to start the year. Ten-plus targets looks like the floor here. And I get the savings if you want to go in another route with another Broncos wide receiver, Benny, Fla Benny Fowler or Jordan Taylor. But I think the smart play would be to go for T Thomas here, where we know uh, Simeon depends on him. They've got that rapport built in. And uh, Casey Hayward isn't really bulletproof. He's already allowed two touchdowns on the year. Uh, the Broncos defense um, – currently ranks third in red zone trips per game at 4.0. So there's going to be scoring opportunities for Thomas here. And I wouldn't be shocked if you were to take advantage of it against um, Casey Hayward. And they're in a desperate need for a bounce back spot after that embarrassing loss coming off their bye, losing at home against the 0-5 Giants. Um, I think the whole team should be in a bounce back spot. And I'm going to target their number one wide receiver here in Demarius Thomas. Now, you were talking a little bit about Casey Hayward. He was a guy who started on Green Bay, and he was kind of up and down there, had a monster year last year. And we've seen this sometimes with cornerbacks where they have just one giant year and they kind of go back to what they were. You said Hayward has not been bulletproof. Do you know where exactly he ranks in, uh, in your pro football focus uh, metrics this year? I know last year he was number seven. Uh, yeah, th he was this old. year he's number 14. Uh, he's still doing pretty well. Um, but I don't know. I'm not that worried about it. Last time he shadowed Demarius Thomas, it was for about 75% of his routes. So there's still the chance that 25% of his routes, he's not always against him. When we say shadow, that means lining up for the majority of them. Um, I'm not really expecting Hayward to shut him down this week. I, I love it. And, and at some point, that volume, I mean, Denver is just that team that really filters all their targets to their outside wide receivers. You got to expect a ton of volume for DT. Scott, who do you have as your value wide receiver? Uh, so, so I disagree. I think Casey Hayward is absolutely someone to be worried about. Uh, you know, he ranks 12th via PFF pass coverage grade. He has allowed only 17 receptions on 31 targets while uh, deflecting five passes, uh, which I think ranks in the top six. Uh, and also, I looked at all shadow games over the past two seasons, and Casey Hayward ranks only behind Patrick Peterson in fantasy points per route allowed 
uh, versus expectation in those shadow games. However, this goes exactly back to what we were talking about. The volume will definitely be enough to negate how strong Hayward is. Uh, but I'm going to go with my value play, uh, a different Denver wide receiver. And sorry, Peyton Manning, it's not Jordan Taylor. Uh, someone told me it's Benny Flower- Fowler week, and I looked into it. And guys, it's Benny Fowler week. Huzzah! Uh, <laughs> so, so Emmanuel Sanders is out. He leaves behind 8.4 targets per game in his wake, uh, playing on just 62% of the snaps. Fowler and Thomas both saw season-high target totals for 14 and 8, respectively. Thomas, like we just said, draws the much tougher matchup. Jordan Taylor is not someone to be concerned about, but he has a very tough matchup as well. Fowler, meanwhile, has a much softer draw, running 77.4% of his routes from the slot, where the Chargers are allowing 16.3 fantasy points per game. That's the third most. Fifth-round rookie uh, Desmond King has been targeted 18 times, allowing 14 receptions for 165 yards. He's their slot cornerback, and he is playing out of position considering he covered the slot on just 14% of his routes last year at a very low price tag. I am projecting a monster game for Fowler. Love it. Uh, hopefully we can, we can maybe after the show, we can get some sort of bet going between you guys, uh, Demarius Thomas and Fowler. I'm going to throw out one guy that uh, in my research, I've kind of been drawing to, uh, and it's Robert Woods this week. Robert Woods is going to probably get a ton of time uh, across from Justin Bethel with Patrick Peterson shadowing Sammy Watkins. Bethel has been pretty much the woat this year. I mean, 109 fantasy points allowed, 0.53 fantasy points per route run. And Robert Woods is actually the most targeted receiver on the LA Rams. He's got 37 targets. The next closest has 32. So he's seeing more than six targets per game. He's 4K on DraftKings. Probably wouldn't go toward him in cash, but in tournaments, I think he has a ton of upside. That's going to be my hot take. I'm just throwing that out there. Let's go to our duds at wide receiver. I agree with you, by the way. That's a good call. I'm on that page, too. (laughs) Love it. Oh, man. Well, you guys are killing me now because now he's going to get owned because everyone's going to be like, oh, the sharp guys are on him. Uh, When it was just me, they'll be like, oh, Sammy's a fish. It's no big deal. Um, Let's go to our dud and, uh, and talk about who you are fading this week, Tyler. I'm going to be fading Jordy Nelson. He was a guy I faded last week, and I'm going back to the well. Jordy's touchdown connection with Aaron Rodgers was really what made him a weekly must play. 40% of Jordy's fantasy points have come via scores, via Rich Rebar. Uh, He stated that earlier. And Jordy moves around the formation quite a bit. Um, But outside cornerbacks Marshawn Lattimore and Ken Crawley have put up some very respectable numbers to start the year. Lattimore is our number four graded cornerback, and Crawley is number seven. Lattimore has yet to allow a touchdown with quarterbacks targeting him, getting a 57.8 QB rating. Crawley has allowed just 13 of 29 attempts to be completed against him, 44.8%. I'm fading Jordy in this one. I'm not really sure how much uh, any kind of rapport he and uh, Brett Hundley will have. I think I'd rather go for a guy like Randall Cobb, who's running those lower high percentage dot throws and routes. And I just don't know if Jordy is uh, worth paying up for here at 6,800. You mentioned Randall Cobb. Do you think there's anything to the narrative that inexperienced quarterbacks tend to look for shorter targets. They tend to look over the middle for guys that aren't running really complicated routes. Do you think that's something that could potentially play into Cobb's hands? Of course. Uh, Those are much higher percentage throws. And I think Cobb runs the majority of his routes in that area. Uh, The only real problem is um, Cobb hasn't been 
doing that well as of late. <laughs> That's his only problem is he just doesn't score fantasy yeah. points. Uh, so the hope is that he's not on the injury report. I haven't checked Green Bay's in a, in a day or two, but I, the hope is he's fully practicing and there aren't any, there aren't any limitations to him playing. Um, if, if so, I think he's a pretty sneaky play. Scotty, let's move on to you. Who is your wide receiver dead of the week? Uh, that would be T.Y. Hilton, who I think is going to draw uh, somewhat heavy ownership at home. So Hilton saw, unforgivably, just four targets in a two-score loss to the Titans last week. But that highlights a serious issue with Hilton, who ranks 32nd among wide receivers in expected fantasy points per game. He's just not seeing a lot of target, nor especially valuable targets, meaning not uh, his usual workload in terms of deep, deep targets per game, air yards, uh, work near the end zone. But things look especially bad for him this week in shadow coverage against Jalen Ramsey, our third highest graded cornerback. Uh, on 35 targets this year against some of the league's best wide receivers, Ramsey's allowed just one, uh, 15 catches for – 178 yards and no touchdowns while intercepting two passes. Not good. Doesn't sound good for T.Y. Um, guys, let's move to the tight end position. The tight end position is straight bad this week. And what? there are, I mean, there are there are good plays, but there's no high price studs. Right, Obviously, right. we don't have Gronk, um, who's basically our biggest stud. We don't have Kelsey. There are good plays, so... Uh, let's talk about those, but maybe we don't have to go so much into stud and value because there's just no high price studs. Let's talk about these middle price guys that we think can really hit here. Tyler, I'll start, I'll start with you. Who do you really like at the tight end position? It's tough without the studs. I mean, those are guys that I'm normally trying to pay up for in tournaments. And as a tournament player, those are guys that I have heavy exposure to. Uh, the guy that I'm probably going to be paying up and playing the most will be ASJ. We all know that was a touchdown last week. Uh, that was a horrendous call. <laughs> um, I haven't seen that. Twitter tilt this hard in like a month and a half. I mean, dude, Twitter just blew up when, when they took that touchdown away. It was bad news. I almost tweeted in all caps, Dead caught it asj caught it learn how to <laughs> learn how to rap uh it was just so tilting because i had asj and a good amount of target in uh tournaments and uh, he still hung up on impressive eight catch 46 yards and a touchdown last week he's seen 19 targets over the last two weeks he's really becoming mccown's most reliable weapon he leads all jets and red zone targets and that's despite him being suspended the first two games the dolphins have given up seven catch games to both austin hooper and hunter henry and I think ASJ has that seven-catch ceiling well within his range of outcomes this week. Scotty, who's your guy at tight end? If you're going to pay for one dude, who's it going to be? Uh, I'm going to cop out and say I'm going to have, like, even exposure <laughs> to seven different guys. <laughs> um, That's awesome. That, that way you can't lose too much and you also can't win too much. You know, just, just hedge life it. This is something I've, I've always been honest about. I am really terrible at ranking tight ends. My fantasy pros rankings uh, show that. I, I've talked about it on my podcast with Tyler a bunch. I'm just bad at it. So I, I'm never going to go all in on one guy. I'm going to have near even exposure on a bunch I like. And this is a great week to do it. Uh, so, so the stat I was referencing before for quarterbacks, fantasy points allowed per game over expectation is something I put a lot of stock into, basically just like, opponent adjusted fantasy points per game and uh delaney walker we talked about it before he gets the single best tight end matchup and it's been the best matchup for two straight years uh jimmy graham gets the defense ranking fourth by that metric and the giants asj gets the defense ranking fifth 
by that metric. Uh, I want to back up what Tyler said about George Kittle. So over the past two weeks, he's seen 17.4 and 17.0 expected fantasy points. That ranks 10th most among all players. Uh, during that span, he's seen 17 targets, two of which were deep targets, rare for tight ends, four of his team's six targets targets inside the five-yard line, and two of his team's four end zone targets. Uh, he is also arguably bolstered by the team's move to replace Brian Hoyer with rookie C.J. Bethard, as Tyler has already alluded to. They played together for four years in Iowa, counted for 10 of his 34 touchdowns. Rudolph is another guy who I've heard get somewhat trashed, um, but he draws a Baltimore defense allowing the second most fantasy points per game over their expectation. And he served in a much more valuable role for fantasy following Dalvin cook's injury and Jarek McKinnon taking uh, uh, the lead work as uh, the primary back and fearsome pass catching threat. So over the past two weeks, he's averaged nine targets per game, 33 routes run per game and is blocked on only 8.3% of his passing snaps. But before that, it was 3.8 targets per game, 25 routes run per game, and blocking on 20% of the snap. So really uh, a night and day difference in terms of role. Finally, Jack Doyle. Uh, and this goes back to why I was trashing T.Y. Hilton. So since Jacoby Brissett's first start in week two, and this is a quarterback who in college and in preseason, regular season, throughout his entire career, has targeted the tight end position at a much higher rate than his peers. Uh, since week two, Doyle's averaging 12.2 expected fantasy points per game. That's fourth most among tight ends. That would push him above T.Y. Hilton by 1.3 points per game. The Jaguars defense is stout against wide receivers, but far more susceptible against tight ends, ranking 12th worst against expectation. Uh, and he is the 20th most expensive priced tight end on DraftKings. So sign me up for that. Uh, I love it. I, I really like the Kyle Rudolph call. Uh, Baltimore really struggled against tight ends. And look at the group of guys they faced. Tyler Eifert, Seth DeValve, and David Njoku, Mercedes Lewis, Jesse James, Jared Cook, and Zach Miller. Like, that's the group. And Graham Barfield tweeted out uh, earlier this week, Rudolph has averaged nine and a half targets per game dating back to last year without Stefan Diggs. So he could be in a really big smash spot. You also mentioned Jimmy Graham. One of the things I really like about Jimmy Graham is that the Giants have actually allowed a touchdown to a tight end in every game this season. And Jimmy Graham is leading the Seattle Seahawks in red zone targets. So I think those are smash spots. And one guy that you guys did not mention that I also like, Hunter Henry against Denver. I just think, I mean, right. it, obviously his snap rate uh, uh, has gone up and up and up the last three weeks, 61 to 76 to 83%. But the other thing is this. Philip Rivers can't throw like he just can't throw. I mean, that arm is cooked. And so what have you seen? He's not throwing outside routes anymore. It's all, you know, little dump offs to Melvin Gordon. It's, you know, little routes to the tight ends and then in breaking routes to Keenan Allen, you know, eight or nine times a game. And that's all he's got. And so I think that really sets up well for, for uh, Hunter Henry, just really good spot for him. And I think, you have all these guys in that kind of four grandish range on DraftKings. I think you can live there and feel really, really good about it. Let's talk about, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I just wanted to agree with you on your Hunter Henry call. Uh, the matchup makes sense as well, just because of how good Denver's quarterbacks are in each of the past two seasons. Uh, they've allowed over 31% of their total receiving fantasy points to tight ends 
ranking top four among all defenses in both of the past two seasons. So the matchup looks good. And I agree, like Henry is finally seeing the workload he deserves. So good call there. Love it. Let's let's talk about some guys uh, potentially at the tight end position that we're fading. Uh, I, I know there's not a lot here to talk about, but Tyler, who do you consider a dud here at tight end? Uh, the one guy that I think Scott did not mention is Nick O'Leary. <laughs> Uh, oh, considering right. the narrow, guy, yeah. Yeah. is is that a real person uh yeah uh he's jack doyle's cousin <laughs> considering the narrow distribution of targets that we're gonna see here with the bills like they don't have jmat um there aren't many prominent weapons on the outside i understand if you need some salary savings at tight end and are thinking about o'leary but just don't save your money elsewhere and don't pay for a guy that has t-rex arms uh, Nick O'Leary has run a route on 31.9% of his snaps so far. That's incredibly low. He's spending way more time blocking than receiving because he flat out just isn't a good receiver, nor is he athletic. His mock draftable spider web makes me laugh every time I look at it. His two, <laughs> best, his two best attributes are his weight and his bench press, and he just barely eclipses the 50% uh, threshold in bench press. He runs a 49340. Uh, I've heard some buzz about hey, that's it. That's what I, I run. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, you could beat that. Uh, it's just such an easy fade for me. I don't understand the buzz around it. Good call on that one. Uh, it, Scott, for you, obviously, uh, you did not mention O'Leary. Is he your dud as well, or do you have somebody else in mind? Uh, no, I actually, I actually kind of like O'Leary a little bit. Um, but, uh, but Tyler definitely made good points. 4.93 yard. Wow, that's bad. Uh, Jason Witten is my dud. Uh, opposing tight ends are scoring 5.4 fantasy points per game fewer than their expectation against San Francisco, which ranks best in the league for any defense. We already talked about how poor their cornerbacks are. So it doesn't really make sense targeting safety Jaquiski Tart uh, via the tight end, uh, considering he ranks fourth best at the position in PFF coverage grade. Uh, they shut down Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham, Jordan Reed. So not really too optimistic about Jason Witten. Love it. Let's uh, talk about, we have a couple minutes left here. Let's talk just a bit about the Atlanta game and the New England game on Sunday night. These teams, obviously, we saw them play in the Super Bowl, and these are pro football focuses, number two and number three teams in terms of percentage of man coverage that they play. And so I kind of wanted to just talk about, especially from New England's perspective, how you expect them to attack Atlanta and what that kind of means from a daily fantasy perspective. Uh, Tyler, I'll start with you. Who do you like on that New England side? I really like Brady. I really like Gronk. Um, the rest is kind of difficult. Um, we saw that Brady threw for 460 plus yards and two scores in the Super Bowl. Um, I think he always has three plus touchdown potential, especially in shootouts. Uh, they're playing at home. Gronk has been amazing since he's returned from health. Um, he has no injuries. He's just killing it out there. Two touchdowns last week. Uh, I think he's a complete must play. Um, one guy I'm kind of interested in, mainly just on the primetime slate, is Deion Lewis. He's sneaking his way into significant playing time. He His snaps have gone up four consecutive weeks. His touches have gone up four consecutive weeks. And uh, he just out-touched James White 11-7 to last week in a game where the Patriots actually needed to pass against the Jets. Um, those are about the guys that I kind of only want to get some exposure to. I understand some um, – uh, what's his name? Uh, Brandon Cooks as well. He's always a big play waiting to happen. I think this is one of those games where he could go off. But, again, it's one of the lower percentage plays where you want to target him. 
And Scotty, really fast, give me a take. If you're going to take one guy on this New England uh, part of the passing game, last year in the Super Bowl, we saw Amendola, Edelman, and White be their three most targeted receivers. If you're going to take one guy from this game on the New England side, who is it? It's James White. He's seen 28 targets over the past three weeks. That ranks sixth most among all players. Atlanta ranks fifth worst in receiving fantasy points allowed to opposing running backs after ranking first worst last season. We saw White with a performance that should have won him the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, he's my not good looking enough. He's not good looking enough to win the Super Bowl MVP. You had to have Tom on there. It had to happen. Gentlemen, we are going to wrap it up with that. This was really fun. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Hopefully I did a good enough job to where Britt, you know, he just comes back and you fire him and, you know, we can just do this every week. That is going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you from Scott. Thank you from Tyler uh, to Sammy. And I hope you guys have a great week moving forward.